I am thankful you are. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Scripture this morning is Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 32 through 40. Follow along as I read, please. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation, by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them, and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy, for your grace, that you are the one true God, that you've given us a way to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We thank you for your word here this morning, that it would fall on open hearts and open minds, that lives would be changed. We thank you for Pastor Brad and his prep this morning. Lead and guide him by your spirit, as well as other pastors that are leading their congregations and sharing your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, John. Deuteronomy. Last time we were in Deuteronomy a couple of weeks ago, we were examining the passage right before this, a warning passage from Moses and God. As we were looking at this theme for a few weeks of don't assimilate, as the people were going into the land, God was saying, stay separate, stay unique, stay holy and don't assimilate. But there's this warning passage from God and Moses that says, when the people would assimilate, the danger and despair and destruction that would come, when they would give in to the godless, idolatrous culture of the world around them, there was this danger of the discipline of the Lord and the need for repentance. And we also saw last a couple of weeks ago God's goodness and his grace in allowing the people to repent, that they would, when they would seek him with their whole hearts, then he would receive them back, that he would draw near to the brokenhearted and to the repentant, and they would return to him and trust in his word. And, and in this, there's a call, and we've seen this over and over again in Deuteronomy already, of absolute loyalty to God, that there is supposed to be a one heart, one mind loyalty to God, a call to never compromise on what God has said. 
I'm called to never compromise on who God is. Because once God has said it, it is set. And if we compromise on what God has said, we will easily compromise on who God is. I'll give you an example. I'm going to just jump right in today because I want you to understand this is the world we live in. And I'm not just talking about the godless people out there who were all saying, how could they? I'm talking about a lot of people who call themselves Christians. Remember, this is written to people who are called the people of God. So before we think about those people, we got to think about us. We got to think about the people who are supposedly in the camp. Okay. And here's what you hear a lot from so-called churches and so-called Christians. I say so-called because I have a hard time calling them churches and I have a hard time calling them Christians. That's up to God. He can deal with it. I'm just saying. Okay. And here's what I hear from people when they look at God's word and they say things like, well, it's not really culturally relevant today. So that was just culture back then. We're in the 21st century and it's not really relevant today, which typically leads to this statement. Do you really think God meant? Now I'm just going to stop us for a second because it was only about four books ago that we heard a serpent in the garden say this. Did God really say? And it's so ironic, isn't it, that when we live in a world where people who call themselves by the name of Christ will say, did God really say? Did God really mean? Now, usually when I bring that up, that they sound like somebody I read about in the Bible, they get excited. And then I take them to Genesis and they don't get excited anymore when I show them who they remind me of. When they say that, but that usually shuts down the conversation. But I find it really interesting because that cultural relevance, that that idea of did God really mean and did God really say is usually it usually always works in your favor to allow you to just continue doing whatever you want to do. Give you an example, Ephesians In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul tells us this, which in our culture is not a popular idea. He says this to wives, wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Not a popular idea in our culture. What I've never found is the wife who doesn't like that verse, but also doesn't like husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. They love to say, well, I was just from a different culture and a different time. But they never say that about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, which is just one verse away. So did Paul all of a sudden go from eternal truth for all ages to Only for you guys in Ephesus today on Tuesday. No. There's a reality that God is speaking and God is speaking truth for all time. And we can't be the people who simply compromise on God's word because it's not convenient. Because it doesn't fit our culture. It doesn't fit into the, the word of the day. Because what happens is when we compromise on God's word, we begin to compromise on who he is. God is as good as his word, and his word is as good as he is. And we need to understand this. And so today, just as we've sung together, we read in today's passage that God is entirely unique. At the heart of the passage today, we read this, verse 39. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath there is no other. The beginning of the Ten Commandments tells us that 
The Lord is one. There is only one God. There is no other. Verse 35 says it this way. To you it was shown. So all that God has done in the history of Israel was to get them to this point of understanding that you might know that the Lord is God and there is no one besides him. In the past few verses, Moses has been warning the people about leaving the Lord their God for other gods, for false gods, for idols, gods who can't see, gods who can't hear, gods who can't act, don't have any power. Now he makes it clear there are no other gods. All of the false gods and idols of the people aren't actually gods. God is unique. God is holy. God is the only God. And any other so-called gods are not gods. God is not just more powerful than any other God. He is not just more loving than any other God. God is not one God among many. He is not just the best among many. He is the one true God. God is not the best option. He's the only option. That's the way it works. It's you're going to worship the one God or you're not going to be worshiping a God. You're going to be worshiping something that is not real and is not true. And it's this uniqueness, the absolute one Godness of God that the people of Israel and now the people of God today, us, that we are meant to place our trust in, that we're exhorted to Move forward in obedience and loyalty to this one true God. So the question for today is this. What is it about God that is so unique that it should elicit a response of worshipful obedience from us? That his people should go, wow, God is like that? God did that? God is so unique that I need to be absolutely loyal to him in obedience and worship. So today, my hope is, I'm going to not tell you anything new. Because <laughs> the job of a pastor and a preacher is not really to stand up here and tell you new stuff. The job is to stand up here and tell you what God has said. So I'm hoping that if you're here and you call yourself a believer in Christ, that the things I'm going to say today, you're going to be like, absolutely. I've always thought that. Once I became a Christian. If you're here today and you're not a believer in Christ, I hope that these things that I'm going to tell you will actually take root in your heart by God's grace because these are the things you need to come to understand in order to trust and believe and repent in Christ. So I ask you to listen and to understand a little bit of the truth of the uniqueness of God and the unique relationship that this one true God has to his people. First, You see it there in the passage. God spoke through creation to everyone, but he spoke uniquely and directly to his people. What makes the relationship between God and his people so unique is God spoke uniquely and directly to his people. We have in Romans chapter 1 this reality that God has revealed his invisible attributes to all people, that everybody can see his invisible attributes. But what we have in God's chosen people, God's redeemed people, is God has spoken directly to his people. Look at verse 32. It says, for ask now of the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth and ask from one end of heaven to the other. In other words, you could go anywhere on earth and ask anybody who worships any God anywhere, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Here, 
Here's the thing. God has uniquely spoken to his people. And he's uniquely spoken and allowed them to hear him, experience him, be in his presence, and live. What I find interesting is you go and you look at the history of other religions. We'll take Mormonism as one, right? So you basically look at the story. There's a guy, he's probably high, and he goes into his backyard and has a vision of an angel who comes and says, I have some golden spectacles for you so that you can read these tablets that are the word that you need to understand because, yeah, God spoke, but everybody messed it up. So you're going to fix it. Seems legit, right? Or how about Islam? A prophet who says at the end of his life, I don't know if I'm making it to paradise. There's no way for me to know. Sounds hopeful. There's a lot of, I don't know. There's a whole lot of extra revelation. There's a whole lot of, you better have the right 3D glasses to be able to see things correctly, as opposed to God has spoken. God has spoken. God has revealed himself. God has said, I'm not going to leave my people wondering who I am. I am going to give them my word straight from my mouth. And it's this revelation from God that should be the inspiration for God's people to go, God has spoken, I'm going to obey. God's unique revelation of himself for his people should be the motivation to believe him, to follow him. So I'll put it in some very simple terms for us. Here's one. This is earth shattering. The Bible is no ordinary book. The Bible is no ordinary book. It is not like every other book. It is the very word of God. God has spoken to his people in his word. Second Timothy chapter three tells us all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. You want to grow up in Christ. The word is where you go. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good works. Why? Because God has spoken. He's breathed out, inspired his word. We treat the Bible like it's an ordinary book. But it's not an ordinary book. Now, God's word to his people is unique because in God's word that's been revealed, we have the revelation of who God is. See, God wasn't just making a list of rules and telling people history. He was showing who he is to his people. The revelation of God's word is the revelation of God's character, which is why we have to teach and preach and study the whole counsel of God's word as equally authoritative, equally essential. We can't be like the people who say, did God really say and did God really mean? Or wasn't that just contextual for that? There's truth that is eternal and God has been revealing himself through his word throughout all of the time that the word of God was being written. That's why we study the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's why we can't go, for those of you who know, we can't go with Andy Stanley where he says that the whole of Christianity needs to unhitch themselves from the Old Testament. I don't know if you understand, the Old Testament was Jesus' Bible. So I'm pretty sure it's important for me to understand what Jesus meant when he said the Scriptures. The whole New Testament church that we read about in the New Testament didn't have the New Testament. Their Bible was the Old Testament. 
And so to unhitch from that is to unhitch from literally the beginning of the church. And so to be a church that's unhitched from the Old Testament is a pretty dangerous place to be. I'm not sure you can be a church. But this is what the culture will tell us. Well, we need a new word. We need to understand the culture we're in. No, the culture needs to understand God. And God has spoken. Numbers 23 tells us that God's character is being put out there in his word so that when he speaks, he doesn't sound like a person who says one thing and does another. Numbers 23, 19, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and he will not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? See, the whole Bible is unfolding God's redemptive plan for his people. And every bit of it is a puzzle piece that shows us the multifaceted glory of God, revealing his character to everyone. So what happens is when we unhitch from certain parts of God's word that just aren't convenient or are difficult for us to handle, difficult for us to interpret, and difficult for us to explain to the culture around us, we also hitch ourselves to a culture that was already unhitched. So you've got to be hitched somewhere. You're either hitched to the word of God or hitched to the culture. And what you see every time is that's the way down the road to apostasy, to walking away from what the scriptures tell us and who God is. But God's word to his people is unique because it was accompanied by God's power. I love the way the verses tell us here that He spoke from the fire. Remember all of the picture of the thunder and the lightning on Mount Sinai where God's glory shows up and the people are watching this happen and they're told, don't even get close, right? Don't even get to the point of going, no, you go up there and we'll go back to camp. Why? Because the revelation of God's word is awesome. It's awe-inspiring. He spoke out of the midst of the fire and he allowed his people to live. That's what verse 33. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? There is an awesome nature to God's word, a unique awesomeness. There are plenty of things in the world that are awe inspiring. But I think it's possible that we become more and more familiar with God's word and it's lost that sense of all. Right? So I'll give you an example. When we went to the Grand Canyon several years ago as a family, it's the first time I had ever been to the Grand Canyon, and I walked up the Grand Canyon, and it was one of three times in my life I was speechless. And some of you are like, three? I'm guessing one. Um, but one of three times in my life I was speechless. I just had no words. Now, to the point that I just stood there and I just didn't know what to do with myself. And we got in the car and we were going to drive around and we're driving the rim, the rim road there. And I, as we're driving, there's, there's little entrances to go to another place to view. And I was like, well, let's go in this one. And we go in and I jump out of the car and I go. And we get in the car and we drive another quarter of a mile. There's another one. Let's go in there. And I go in. Because it was awesome. It was awe-inspiring. And then you stand there and you listen to the park ranger go, well, millions of years ago, that's strata over there. And you're like, dude, you've just lost the awe, haven't you? You've become so familiar and tried to explain so much of what you're seeing 
that you've completely lost the awe. We went to Iceland this summer. And I think the people of Iceland are very proud of their island. They love it, but I'm not sure they're awed by it. So when we got there, it was literally like, oh, oh, oh. every ter- where you turn is a postcard. And they're just kind of living in it. You know people like that. You show up and you're like, wow, this is really fantastic. And they're like, eh, it's a place to live. See, familiarity typically leads us to a place where we lose all. When was the last time you looked at your Bible and thought, God has spoken to us. When was the last time you opened your Bible and went, I, 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 I can't. I, I don't even know where to start. I'm too overwhelmed by the fact that God wants me to know him. That God has inspired, spoken so that I can know him, so that my sin can be rooted out, so that, so that I can know him as holy and glorious, so that I don't have to remain in my sinful state anymore, but become holy and glorious with him. That, Wow. When was the last time the Bible struck you that way? See, familiarity leads us to a place often of forgetting to be in awe. But the word of God was delivered with awesome deeds of God. Working on behalf of his people. See, we have Bibles stacked up on shelves or Bible verses hanging in our bathrooms or on our favorite mugs. But has the familiarity with God's word caused us to lose the all that we're meant to have? When God spoke to the Israelites from the mountain, they feared for their lives. They understood that God speaking meant life and death. So the book that's in your lap right now or that you're holding or that you're swiping through, whichever version you have, right? That that book holds life and death. It, it needs to be awe-inspiring. In fact, I'll, I'll go so far as to say this. To the degree that you are awed by the word of God, that's the degree to which it will change you. When it is normal and familiar, is it really the word of God or is it just a Bible? You know what Bible means, right? Anybody know what Bible means? Book. The Word of God is not just a book. It is the revealed Word of God. You see, no matter where I go in the world, the scariest thing, and I've been in some situations, and some of you have been in situations, the scariest thing I've ever done, and I do it every week, is open up this book and look at you and say, God said the scariest thing I do. It's not the talking. It's the fact that God has spoken and I'm supposed to tell you what he said. And it brings me to a place of humility and awe. Because this word is life and death. It's eternal and awesome. And it's for your life and godliness. And what that comes down to is this truth that we need to come to because I think our world has missed it and we might have given up too much ground on this. And it's this. The revelation of God's word is absolute and objective reality. And I don't think we, we go out into the world with that idea. It's this truth. Reality is what God says it is. It's not just mere opinion. 
It's not relative to circumstances or culture. If you're sitting there and you're saying, I need an answer, there's answers. If you're sitting there and trying to interpret what's happening in the world, don't let the world interpret the Bible. Have the Bible interpret the world because God has spoken and God's people accept God's word as what it is. This is what 1 Thessalonians 2 tells us. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So since God has spoken uniquely and fully in his word, then it's no ordinary book for us. And the word of God is actively and uniquely working in the lives of the people of God. It's working like, unlike anything else can work in your life. Only God's word can produce life and fruit in your life. It's working to save us, to sanctify, to make us holy, to give us life, and to change our lives. And you know this if you're a believer because you were saved by the word of God proclaimed in the gospel. You were, you were saved by the gospel is the power of God and salvation for all who believes. You were saved by the truth that Unless you hear the word spoken to you, you cannot come to believe. And unless somebody preaches it, you can't hear it and believe. This is how we are saved. It's the word of God which holds new life. The gospel, that's the power of God and his salvation. And that same word that gives us life is the word that preserves our lives and feeds us even as new believers. It's the word that has to be preached and heard and believed. It's the life-giving food of the new believer. This is what 1 Peter 2 tells us. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. See, once you've come to this place of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, and you've trusted him, the way you continue to be fed and you are nourished and you're kept alive is through the word of God. You have to have the milk of the word of God, but you're not meant to stay milk drinkers forever. Babies aren't meant to be on formula forever. They're supposed to be weaned and go to solid food at some point. And you will only be grown into maturity if the word of God is implanted in you. The only way you're going to grow as a believer into maturity is if the word of God is implanted in you. Obedience and faithfulness for God's people is defined by this. How closely does your life match up to what God has said? Obedience and faithfulness is not, look at them, they serve in those positions. That's not obedience and faithfulness. Obedience and faithfulness for believers is how does your life stack up compared to what God has spoken? To the truths that God has revealed. Because the closer we hold to the word of God, the more we'll become obedient people of God. I was listening this week to an old Baptist preacher. Some of you are going to know him. And he, uh, he had one of the greatest voices of all time, um, Adrian Rogers. And he said something to this effect. If you're struggling in your walk with Christ right now and you go to your pastor. So you come to me and say, I'm struggling in my walk with Christ. I'm struggling to share the gospel. I'm struggling in my marriage. I'm struggling this. The, the question I have to get back to as a pastor is this. Tell me about the time you're spending in the word of God. Because you have stories going on in your brain. You have lies that are being told to you by all kinds of people. How are you speaking truth to yourself by going to the truth, to the word of God? He goes on to say, 
I don't want you to remain lost. I want you to believe the word of God and become a child of God. Coming to him like an infant, longing for the pure milk of the word of God. And this is just to summarize what he's saying. But I also don't want you to remain a baby in the Lord. I don't want you to remain an infant. I want you to grow into maturity, routinely taking in the milk of the word until you grow to maturity. But I don't want you to remain simply mature or growing. The way we do it around here and the way I talk about it is we want you to have milk and we want you to have meat. Another way to put it, we want you liquid and solid food when it comes to the word of God. So we, we provide stew every week. That's the way we're going. Okay, That's what we're trying to do. So the new believer can be fed and not be overwhelmed, not choke on it. Right? But the believer who's been around for 50, 60, 70 years can go, oh, I can still learn and grow. But the, the fact of the matter is I don't want you to remain simply mature or growing. I want you to become spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers to reproduce, to make disciples, to be the people that others come to for wisdom because what you say sounds a whole lot like what God says. The only way that happens is if you're hitched to the word of God, if you're tied closely to what God has said. But far too many people who call themselves Christians never move forward to maturity. They never move to chewing on the word of God to actually to the meat they, they show up every week and they feed on the milk they go home with it in their mustaches and they're gorged their bellies full and they go home and they live their life and they wonder why they're not getting stronger where they're not maturing because they're eating food that was designed for babies as opposed to going on to the things that would actually make them grow in christ and make them spiritual the apostle paul put it this way in first corinthians 3 he said I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. How, how harsh is that? He looks at the Corinthians. He says, look, when I address you, I can't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for it. And, every now, and even now you're not ready. For you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Let me put it in this way. If you don't start eating meat, you're never actually going to look like Jesus intends you to eat, intends you to look. look. He says, as long as there's these fleshly things happening, why? Because you aren't feeding on the spiritual. You aren't going to the word of God to feed you and to give you all that's essential for life and godliness. And the word of God is the essential element for life and godliness in the life of God's people. And God has uniquely spoken to us in his word. There's no other book. There's no other conference. There's no other podcast. Nothing outside of the word of God. Even though those things can be good, none of those things can actually give you what is needed for you to come to faith and to remain and grow in the faith. God has spoken uniquely to his people. And we can't take it for granted. Because his relationship to his people is unique. God has determined that he would have a unique relationship with us. Look at verse 37. It's because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it on your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Did you catch it? Verse 37. He has a unique love for his people. A love that he doesn't have for other people. 
Now, I know we believe and we teach, and John 3.16 makes it clear that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God has a special love for his people whom he has redeemed and called his own, who belong to him. And it's a unique relationship of love for his people. Verse 37 that says that he set his love on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, on the fathers, and chose their offspring. He kept a faithful covenant love for his people for generations. God's character of faithful covenant love determines that he's going to work on behalf of his people and accomplish his purposes through them. And he goes further than that. He doesn't just love us. His unique love and purpose for his people is accomplished by his uniquely powerful actions that he himself acts on behalf of his people. That he doesn't leave them alone and say, figure it out. It's verse 37. It was his own presence that led his people. It was his own great power that drove out mightier nations and redeemed them from Egypt. He drove out other people to bring his people in. Let me put it this way. This is, this is the way God did things. He didn't, he didn't have the people in Egypt in slavery hear their cries and go, yeah, why don't you guys figure out deliverance? No, it's by his power and his presence he accomplished it. And he gets them to the Red Sea and he's like, oh, didn't think about that one. Didn't think about that one. Like, uh, anybody swim? It was by his power and his presence he parts the Red Sea. He gets them to Mount Sinai and he goes, yeah, worship. I know I said I was bringing you here to worship. Anybody got any ideas of what that might look like? Any songs you want to sing? No, he said, here's what worship looks like. Here's what it is to be the people of God. Oh, you're going into a land that you've got to walk to now? Yeah, I don't really know the way. Or if I did, I'm not telling you. You're on your own. Figure it out. No, instead, I'm going to give you a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, and you follow me. Oh, you don't know how to make these hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, figure out how to walk across a wilderness? I'll tell you how to make camp. Oh, those nations, they're mightier than you. Good luck. Now, God spoke, and then he accomplished what he spoke by his own power and his own might because of his unique love and purpose for his people. A unique love for his people that shows that he is God and there is none other. Everything God has done up to this point is for you and for me to know that there is none other than God. He's it. And he is determining his unique purposes for his people. He doesn't just stop at love, but he leads his people by the power for by his power for his purposes. He sets up an inheritance for them. He makes for himself a people to worship him, to have a relationship with them. He he took a people who this generation is going into the promised land. They'd been in the desert for 40 years. None of them were farmers at this point. Think about that. Their parents might have been farmers, but they're not farmers. They've been in the wilderness, and he's been dropping food every night. And they've got to go into a land and farm. And he doesn't leave them to say, read a book on farming. He says, if you'll do it this way, I will prosper you because of my love for you. I'm going to commune with you, to feast with you, to provide for you, and to make things go well for you, to prosper you. 
He sets up his people for success, for life and liberty and success and prospering. If they would listen, heed and obey. Look at verse 40. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God has given you for all time. A promise for generations. If you listen and obey, receiving the unique relationship with the one true God, then you live. This uniqueness of God was put on full display for the people of Israel. And it's been put on full display for us through the word of God and through his marvelous deeds that he has done. It's put on full display in his word for us. And each of these truths is wrapped up in one great truth for us today. And it's this. God is a God of grace. God is unique in his grace. And and what makes God's people unique is that we are the receivers, the recipients of grace. That's what makes us unique and special is God has determined by his love to show us his saving and sanctifying grace. You are not special unless God says you're special. And God has said, if you are his child, you are special. I'm going to throw my grace at you. I'm going to lavish my grace on you. He he did it this way. And it's in the passage here. He let them hear his. I love the way Moses. He let you hear his voice. That's grace. God didn't have to speak. God could have left him guessing as to who he is. He could have just shown up in the fire and had them scared all the time. But instead he speaks so that they would know him. That's his grace. He says he lets you see his power. He put his glory and power on display so that they would trust him. He took care of Egypt. Surely he can take care of the Canaanites. He acted on their behalf. He works sovereignly right there in the open, doing miraculous deeds like splitting open whole like seas. Like he just moves water out of the way sovereignly. But he also works providentially behind the scenes. He even turns bad things into good and death into life by his grace. He set up a way of success and prospering and fullness of life for his people. He laid out good works for his people to walk in. He even said, Jesus even said, I've come to give them life and to give it to you more abundantly. He's setting you up to have real life. He hasn't left us guessing on how we can live. That's all an act of grace. He didn't have to do it. And it's this grace that now leads us to follow and obey what God has said. It, is, it doesn't work this way. I'm going to follow as best I can and then trust in his grace to fill in the rest. It's he has shown me grace to accomplish everything by his power. So I'm going to follow and obey. That's the good news of the gospel. We, the uniqueness of God is shown to us in his word, but fully the uniqueness of God has been shown to us in the person and the work and the word of Jesus Christ. The word of God made flesh. The one through whom we have now seen the glory of God in fullness. The one who has spoken. The one who has lived the life of obedience that we've rejected. The one who has put on display the power of God through his miracles. The one who has spoken with authority and then chose to lay down his authority and take up a cross. 
And then three days later, picked back up his authority and walked out of the grave. To put on display God's grace for us. And now has been given all authority in heaven and on earth so he can call us to go and tell everybody else. We've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus that we see fully and finally that God has a unique relationship with his people because it's in Jesus that we have that only relationship that brings life. It's what Hebrews 1 tells us. Long ago, that sounds a whole lot like Brask now of the days that are past, is what we read in Deuteronomy 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And if God has worked grace upon grace for his people, will he not continue to do so for us? For remaining future generations who trust in him, he will when his grace leads us to faith. And when his grace leads us to faithful obedience. It's then that we can claim with the Apostle Paul what he wrote in Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So as we go to prayer now, I ask you, has his word brought life to you? Have you trusted God at his word? Because his word became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus so that we could know him. We beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth so that we can have life. And you can trust him today. God is working to even bring you to this place so that he can show you his grace. So would you trust him in his grace today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace shown to us in Jesus, shown to us in your word, shown to us because you love us. Lord, may we now take that good news of the grace that you've shown to us to the world around us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.